1: Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. Alan Dempsey, uh, as usual, engineering for us behind the glass. And Andrew Herdliska does our producing. Wallace Henley is our first guest from Houston. He's the senior associate pastor of second baptist church in houston and we're going to talk about his book "Call down lightning wallace welcome how are you
2: Pat, it's a joy to be with you thank you for having me
1: thank you oh call down lightning what does that title mean well as i contemplated
2: revival i began to think about a metaphor that would really illustrate how revival works and lightning Came to my mind just almost immediately for a number of, of very solid reasons.
1: Well, let's dive into the book. First chapter is called We Need Lightning Now. Exclamation point. Uh, what what are you writing here?
2: Yes, indeed. Think about the way lightning works. Lightning is invested, it's embedded in a in a cloud. Mm-hmm. And the cloud comes and hovers. There's tremendous energy inside that cloud. Initially, that, that lightning is sheet lightning. It, it, it's on a horizontal scale, but it needs to be released into the earth. And so there's a charge that's set up in the earth. Now, with respect to revival, obviously the cloud of God contains the energy of God. That we need that renewal. We need that power in the earth. And so the Lord allows a charge to set up in the ground in the form of crisis, and that propels the church to pray. The church has the authority to call down the lightning of revival, and that's what we saw demonstrated so graphically in the Welsh revival of 1904 1905.
1: Tell us more about that.
2: Well, there's a, there's a young a coal miner by the name of Evan Roberts, And first of all, there was a crisis set up in his own life uh, where he became spiritually hungry, desiring so much of the Lord and desiring to see revival in his time. There were other people in that culture who were experiencing the same thing. For example, there was a wonderful pastor uh, in one of the major cities, major churches, and he lamented in 1902, 1903. He began to cry out to God because of the deadness of theology that was being taught in the churches. And we have these strands moving where God is setting up a charge in the, in the lives of these people who are calling out revival and calling down that lightning of energy that would come into that culture. And what encourages me is that I believe that we are in a time very much like that, when many, many people are beginning to feel that hunger for a great move of God that would produce social uh, as well as spiritual transformation.
1: I want you to talk about the times and seasons of true revival. That's your second topic, Wallace.
2: Well, Pat, one of the most important interpretive criteria for Scripture that has too long been neglected is the biblical doctrine of time, Mm. how time works. We have two wonderful Greek words that express that, the word chronos, which means finite time, past, present, and future, and the word kairos, which means time, especially in the content that comes into chronos time. And kairos is that is that wonderful uh, content that God brings into the times and seasons of our lives. This is what the Bible means by times and seasons. Times, chronos, seasons, kairos. There are special times when God operates in special ways. There there's a sequence that we see, for example, in the prototypical nation of Old Testament Israel. First there was a ratification in which a the general consensus of the culture was that God is our God. He is the He is the foundation of our land. We're together in acknowledging Him as our Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Then comes a time of what I call the relapse of memory. Joshua and his generation die. A generation comes up that does not know God, they forget God, and they fall into the next uh, category or the next cycle, which is rebellion, when they turn away from God, they turn away from righteousness, which brings on the next element in the cycle, which is the refiner's fire. Their, the consequence of their rebellion uh, begins to be experienced in the culture. And then comes another cycle, which is remembrance. People In down in the refiner's fire period, when that consequence is coming down on them, they begin to ask the question, what did we forget? What did we leave behind? And they begin to realize that they lost God somewhere in the process. And so there's a time of remembrance when people begin to seek God again. Prophets arise in that period, and they begin to call people back to God. They're persecuted, but they call people back to God. And then comes a time of repentance when people say, We recognize now what we've done, and we turn from that. We turn back to God. There's a conscious returning to God, which precipitates revival. And revival then moves across the culture. It begins to transform things. What happened in Wales was that even the donkeys who pulled the coal out of the mine had to be retrained because all they understood was cursing. And the miners quit cursing. Their language was transformed. Uh, the pubs were empty as people turned away from that lifestyle, and they began to go back to their family. And so there was social transformation in that period of revival, and the Bible says the land had rest for a generation for 40 years, and then in that period there's ratification, then there's relapse of memory, and the whole cycle begins again. Now, how this applies to where we are in time, and what I tried to say in Call Down Lightning, is that we're deep in the refiner's fire period in our culture, in Western civilization. We're deep into it. And because of that, I expect that we're seeing more and more hunger for remembering what we lost and recovering what we lost. I expect that revival is on the horizon. I pray that you and I live to see it, Pat.
1: Wallace Henley, our guest from Houston. Uh, The book is called Call Down Lightning. Uh, we've moved to the third topic. We've talked about we need lightning now. You've explained to us the times and seasons of true revival. Uh, the chapter you do called the revival cycle. Uh, what does that mean? What's that about?
2: Yes, that's the cycle that I just talked about. But let me uh, expand on that a little bit. Yes. When 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 the Bible when people say that time repeats itself, actually that's not quite correct. Um, uh, Mark Twain and some others said it like this. Time may not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And so all across the Scripture, we see this, this cycling of, of kairos and kronos, kairos and kronos, and kronos and kairos. Everything is moving to a grand culmination. Mm. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 24, what is called sometimes the Olivet Discourse. He's walking with his disciples. They pass the temple. The guys look at the stones, and they say, look at how how powerful those stones are. And Jesus says, this is a teaching moment. So they go aside, and he says, the the time will come when not one of these stones will be left upon another. They'll all be pulled down. And on an immediate sense, he is talking about uh, the invasion that would come in 70 A.D. when the Romans literally pulled down the temple. But there's something bigger in mind. He's focusing on something bigger. And then he says in Matthew twenty four fourteen, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all of the world as a witness to all of the ethnic, translated nations, or all of the people groups, and then the end will come. And the word end is not end in termination, it is the word telos in Greek, which means the purpose of all things. Um I, my early life, I spent in journalism and politics. I worked in the White House. I observed the way nations operate. I became fascinated with, with the historical flow, and I began to understand that there's a great purpose to all things, and that is the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom in this world and the proclamation of that, of that gospel of the kingdom in all the earth. And so what we're seeing in the revival cycle is part of that great buildup to to the dynamo of all history, the great climax of all history, which is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom into the world.
1: My guest is Wallace Henley from Houston, the book Call Down Lightning. We've got another segment with Wallace right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990. (coughs) It's me. And FM 101.5, The Word, uh, in Orlando. Wallace Henley, Senior Associate Pastor of Second Baptist Church in Houston, is our guest. Wallace, before we move on, uh, time in the White House, you're in the political field, then end up as a pastor. Uh, how did that transition come about? What, went, what was going on?
2: God had called me to preach when I was 15 years old, Really, and I pursued that course, and my first pastorate was an extremely difficult thing, and I said, man, I'm through with that. I'm never going to do that again. That was in 1966, and so I walked away from it. I became a journalist uh, at the Birmingham News in Alabama covering the Civil Rights Revolution and other things, Mm. and then I was recruited for the White House staff in 1970 and I spent three years at the White House. But the most significant thing that happened to be in that period was I began attending a prayer group that met every Thursday morning at uh, 7.30 uh, in the West Wing, just the White House staff people. That brought me back to the Lord and really began to re-engage me with my call to ministry. And when I left uh, church ministry, and when I left the White House in 1973, I left with a conviction that the most potent organism in the world today is the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the New Testament Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Governments can bring change, but only the Lord Jesus Christ working through his body in the world brings transformation. And this mounted up through the years. I, I then became a pastor, a senior pastor, was a senior pastor for 25 years. I uh, came to Houston for the last 18 years. I've been senior associate at Second Baptist in Houston, which is the church of 81,000 members uh, spread over the city on six campuses. And so I'm, I'm absolutely a church man. I believe that the Lord is working in the world through the church and that the church is crucial to revival.
1: Uh, tell me your thoughts about uh, Chuck Colson.
2: What a wonderful question! I knew Chuck before he knew the Lord, and after he knew the Lord. And I tell people, uh, it's an imp- it's impossible to be an atheist and having known uh, the, the the before Jesus uh, Coulson and the after Jesus Coulson. Uh, when he was when he was uh, convicted of certain Watergate uh, crimes allegations, he was sent to prison uh, at Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama. And by that time, I had returned to the pastorate. We're now into 1974. I had returned to the pastorate and was pastoring a church uh, near Mobile. A friend called me and asked if I would go up and visit Chuck in prison, that uh, he had just accepted the Lord. And, and I, I, I have to confess that initially I didn't believe it. I, could, I couldn't conceive that Colson had really given his life to Christ. Uh, we would not even invite him to the prayer group. We, we, we thought he would just laugh us off. But I made the trip to Montgomery three times to the prison camp there. Uh, The warden gave us a a conference room. We didn't understand that. You didn't usually get that kind of good treatment. But we found out later it was was bugged and they hoped we would talk about Watergate. But what what was on those tapes, I'm sure, was just two men praying together and talking about the Lord. And Chuck was absolutely transformed by the power of Christ. And I saw that, that transformation visibly in my own experience and was tremendously blessed by it.
1: Wallace Henley, what a life he's had in his new book, called Down Lightning. Wallace, um, the fourth topic in your book is called the Tao of Lightning. Uh, what does that mean?
2: We, we discuss how lightning works. Romans 1 says that God has made the revelation of himself so clear in nature that no one is without excuse. We look at nature, and we can learn lessons about God from nature. So think about how lightning works. As I said earlier, uh, it's, it's, right, it's in, that energy is embedded in that cloud, but for it to reach the earth, there must be a particular point of attraction that draws that lightning to the ground. Now, here I need to kind of shift the metaphor a little bit and talk about the United States House of Representatives. Many, many years later, I thought I was retiring from the pastorate. I went back into government briefly uh, because of my concerns about the direction of the nation. And I became uh, acting chief of staff for a United States congressman. And sometimes I would go to the floor of the House of Representatives in Washington uh, with uh, my boss. I would watch him vote. And I realized one day as I watched the vote take place on the floor of the House of Representatives that these were people who had been given electoral authority to vote the interests of their districts before the entire government of the United States. They alone had that authority because they were elected to do that. And it hit me. This is, this is a picture of the church. The church. Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to the church. The church has the representative authority to call down the lightning of God through intercession. And if the church awakens <laughs> to the fact that it is the intercessory representative, it can exert that authority that has been given to it by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the dowel of lightning. That's the way lightning works. Something has to call it down. Well, God has placed the church in the world to call down the lightning of God's energy and blessing
1: upon the earth. Wallace, uh, what's the chapter The Hovering Cloud about?
2: That hovering cloud uh, reaches back to the experience of Israel in the wilderness when that cloud of God's glory was was over them, guiding them. A uh, pillar of fire by night, a great cloud in the day. And then we go forward uh, to Solomon's temple. And the cloud of God's manifest glory comes and hovers over that place, and God says, "My eyes and my ears will be on this place of all the places in the earth. This is where I will give heed and attention to what happens, and my 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 house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations." The church then assumes that role in the New Testament era, and God's attention is focused there. So the the cloud of God's presence is hovering, but it also refers to the manifest presence of God. There's the objective presence of God, which is the promise of his presence. Lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. We don't always experience that subjectively, but there are times when God allows us to, to know that manifest presence, the subjective presence of God, and that cloud is always there, whether we experience it or not, whether we see it or not, but we have the authority to call down the energy that's in that cloud, the spiritual transformation energy that we call revival that's in that cloud.
1: Let's uh, go to this topic, the ground below. Explain that.
2: The ground below is the place where God sovereignly wants to release revival. Revival is a wonderful interplay between the sovereignty of God and the freedom of the human being. The sovereignty of God means that God chooses, God wants to release revival. He wants to release spiritual renewal into the earth. But he has chosen, because he's perfectly loving and perfectly merciful and perfectly just, he's chosen to allow us the freedom. And so, therefore, it is our freedom that comes into contact with the with the providential desire of God that, that releases that lightning of revival into a particular place where people are interceding and praying for it and calling it down, again, as the representatives in this world who can come before the throne of God and call on God to release himself, his his very nature, into our being and into the world.
1: Uh, Wallace, let's get to this topic. It's called Evan Roberts and the Living Energy. Explain that one.
2: Evan Roberts into a first of all into a knowledge of the Lord which was which, which was at the level of his own will and, and the commitment of his life and then as he began to come into that manifest presence of God where he began to call out to God as an act of discipline. He be, he was he was ordained for this he was called for this and as he began to respond in the manifest presence of God um, ignited him so that he was he was constantly in prayer. He was even working in the mine. He would have his Bible down there in the mines, and on his breaks, uh, he, would, he would go aside into a niche in the wall of the mine, and he would read, and he would pray, and he would seek the Lord. And then others began to be ignited like that. I call him a lightning rod. Uh, he was drawing that lightning, and others became lightning rods as well, and they joined with him. Uh, some, In fact, some had already begun to enter into that experience, like a young lady by the name of Flory who stood up in the middle of a prayer meeting and just began to talk about how she loved Jesus, and others were ignited by that. And so there was this spreading of it through that manifestation in these individual lives, Evan Roberts being the, the most famous of those who've come down to our memory.
1: Now, uh, I want you to explain to us many rods.
2: Yes, there were others who came into contact with him. Evan did not see himself in solitude in the sense of being just a guru who had come to do that. He was a very humble person, recognized his need for other people, and began to draw young people in his church uh, at a a place called Moriah in Wales, a little tiny um, uh, Methodist chapel, they called them, which were very, very conservative in their theology, he began to call other young people with him to begin to pray for revival. He tried to leave to go to seminary, but, his, but, but God had put such a burden for, for this uh, ministry of revival on him that even the president of the seminary r- recognized that and released him to go and, and spread uh, and organize groups to pray for revival. And as that happened, these other people with him became those lightning rods that drew revival not just to one place, but to many places, all over Wales.
1: How about this topic, dynamics of the lightning? Explain that, Wallace. The
2: dynamics of the lightning. Uh, one of the studies of, of natural lightning shows that that even though it uh, it is dangerous, even though it's full of energy, it, it regenerates the nitrogen in the soil of the earth. So we've got to have that regeneration. Well, in, in a similar way, uh, real revival is, is regenerating. It brings about repentance. When, when we talk about revival, sometimes we confuse it with refreshing and, and, and with feeling good about things. Actually, true revival brings on a, a, a hunger for regeneration, which prompts a desire for repentance. And people begin to turn for sin, from sin. They begin to recognize their sin and they begin to turn from it. This is a theme that, by and large, has gone out of the church in our time. But it's, but it's a very important theme that is always uh, uh, re- brought about uh, through real revival, this need for regeneration, for a replenishing of our lives, not just in the sense of feeling better about things, but first of all, for acknowledging the sin that stands in the way of that and, and repenting of it, turning away from it.
1: Wallace Henley is our guest. From Houston, call down lightning. The name of his book, "Handling the Lightning," is your uh, topic number eleven. Uh, t- tell us about that.
2: Handling the lightning is is crucial.
1: Uh, years ago, a very wonderful author
2: uh, wrote about why revival tares, and I write in the book about in, in my book about why revival tapers. Why did why do we lose it? Well one of the things that occurs is that there is a need for order in the body of Christ when when the lightning of revival begins to hit it. But rather than going to the Scriptures to establish that order, we too often turn to our own penchant for institutionalizing things. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, deals very specifically with how to handle uh, spiritual manifestations. In a, in a godly, biblical, orderly way. But unfortunately, what happens is we human beings try to make our own rules and our own regulations. Evan Roberts himself began to fall into some extremes in the views of some people, and I described those in the book, Call Down Lightning. Uh, then there were people who moved in around him. They, they were good people. They didn't mean to squelch things, but they began to stifle it in institutionalization. They began to try to turn things Uh, into a revival institution. Revival is a dynamic like the lightning, and one manages it not by freezing it, not by isolating it, but one manages it in a biblical form based on 1 Corinthians 14. And so eventually, these folks who were trying to help him even pulled him out of Wales, took him to England, and said, look, you just need to be here under us for a while, and we will get you under control And this will help the revival to be healthy. Well, it did not help it to be healthy. Instead, it 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 quenched the revival. And and after a year or so, that revival fire in Wales uh, diminished. How, praise God, it had moved out of Wales. It went all the way to North Korea. And one of the most interesting descriptions that I give in the book is how Pyongyang, which is the capital of North Korea, was known by 1906 as the Jerusalem of the East, because there were so many church spires uh, in that city.
1: My guest has been Wallace Henley. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Wallace Henley, our guest in that first segment uh, from Second Baptist Church in Houston, talking about his book, Call Down Lightning, Uh, Courtney Ellis is with us Uh, she's in Wisconsin her book is out almost holy mama first of all Courtney welcome how are you
3: I'm great thanks for having me Pat
1: and that you've got to explain that title
3: yeah I think the the journey of Christianity is we are always on our way to deeper and greater holiness but we never quite arrive there this side of heaven
1: (coughs) excuse me Well, let's dive in. Your first chapter is called Running on Empty, Longing for More. Uh, Tell us about that.
3: So I think many of us are in particularly busy seasons of life. For me, it was having young children and working in ministry and just feeling really tapped out at the end of every day. And I was desperate to connect with God, but I wasn't sure how. I was just exhausted. And so I kept falling into this trap of saying, well, someday, someday I'll work at these spiritual practices. Someday I'll have more time to read my Bible. Someday I'll really invest in my prayer life. And I started to realize that someday was never going to come. The day was now, and God was so ready to meet with me, I just needed to begin turning to him in the midst of the busyness of my day, rather than waiting for these big, empty stretches of time. God was there every minute, all day anyway.
1: Then you move to this topic, car rides and contemplation, finding Jesus on the freeways.
3: So, the book is structured around this year long experiment I did with spiritual practices. So, rather than trying to become an expert in anything, I just said, Okay, God, please use what I'm doing already. Um, Use the things I'm doing in my day to help me connect with you on a deeper level. And and God is so gracious and kind that way. God just is is ready to connect with us and, and wants to bless us. And so, one of the things I was doing a lot of was driving my kids around. I was taking my preschooler to school, I was taking my baby to the pediatrician. And so, I said, okay, God, when I'm in the car, when I'm driving, I'm going to think about you, and I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to listen and and pay attention to you. And, you know, God really used that in these wonderful, powerful ways. I would suddenly be pulling into the grocery store parking lot and, and just be reminded that every bit of food I was going to buy was provided by God and just feel so grateful and blessed by that. And it became a wonderful opportunity to hear from God, to experience God, rather than just performing this this kind of drudgerous task of driving. And uh, I live in Southern California and driving is never fun in Southern California. Uh, But when I knew God was going to meet me there in the car, it became became a really profound and meaningful spiritual time.
1: Uh, Talk to us about sleepy time and service, sacrificial love at the end of a long day.
3: So I think one of the challenges for us as Christians is to think about when is the most exhausting point in our day and how does God want to meet us there and to minister to us there. And for me, as a parent of young kids who also had often long days at church working in ministry, putting my kids to bed at night was just Soul-crushingly exhausting. They they were usually a little bit hyper, and they weren't really into obedience that late at night. And I was just so tired. All I wanted to do was give them a bath and throw them in their bed. And and I said, okay, God, I need help during this hour. To I would like you to teach me to serve my kids, how you would serve my kids, how you serve me, and it's so beautiful because in scripture the sign of service is when jesus washes his disciples' feet and so there's water and there's a towel and i was giving my kids a bath so there's water and there's a towel and and i was able to really learn more what about what it meant to serve my kids not as not as a martyr and not as, you know, someone who just did everything for them but as jesus would serve them by by loving them just as they were by sometimes drawing some really firm boundaries And I found that I had more patience and more energy knowing that Jesus was with me in those really exhausting moments. I didn't always nail it. A lot of this book is the different ways I've failed at spiritual practices because I'm a work in progress. We all are. Uh, But that was the journey for me.
1: Uh, Let's get to this topic. Eating and the examine, finding God at the dinner table.
3: So the examine is this wonderful ancient spiritual tool, and I love that the modern church is kind of starting to reclaim some of these these ancient spiritual practices that really began in Scripture and then have carried on through the centuries and and through the millennia. And the examine is a practice. Um, of just thinking back over your day and noticing the high points and the difficult points and the way God was present to you in both of those things. So because my husband and I have young children, uh, we did kind of a modified, easy version of the examine, and we did it at the dinner table every night. And a lot of families do this. They ask their kids... You know, what was the best part of your day and what was the worst part of your day? But then the examine also presses us to ask, where did you see God in your day? Where did where did God meet you in your day? And it was so great because I would hear parts of my husband's day that I didn't know about where, where he had really experienced the love of God or the correction of God or... Uh, Or my my son then was about three years old, and sometimes he would tell us that a little friend fell on the playground and that he was able to help comfort her, and he knew that Jesus was helping comfort her. So it's, it's this way to review your day and maybe notice God showing up in a way that you didn't in the moment because you were distracted or you were busy. And it's great because it's simple, it's easy, and you can do it at almost any age. And dinner is one of the times kids are kind of trapped in one area. So they're they're easy to ask some questions over the dinner table.
1: Courtney Ellis is with us from Wisconsin in her book, Almost Holy Mama, Laundry and Listening Prayer, because sometimes the voice of God sounds a lot like the dryer.
3: So my husband and I uh, divide up our chores according to what we enjoy doing uh, for the most part. But there are a couple chores neither of us like, and one of them is folding laundry. And because he takes the trash out, which neither of us want to do, I fold the laundry and I just hate folding laundry. I just hate it, but it has to get done. And so I thought, how can I invite God into this practice, uh, into this family chore that I don't like to do? How can I meet with God here? And so Um, I decided to pair the discipline, the spiritual discipline of of listening prayer to folding laundry. So as I folded laundry, when I was folding my older son's clothes, I would pray for him, and then I would just be quiet. I think often our prayer lives are filled with many words, and Jesus tells us not to babble on like the pagans do. And so what would it look like to listen, to fold and pray, and then to listen for God? And often— I was just met with this really deep sense of of how much God loved me, of how much God loved my children, of how much God was present to me, even in the drudgery of this chore that I didn't like to do. And then I would fold my husband's clothes and pray for him in the same way and fold the baby's clothes and pray in the same way. And it turned something that I, I didn't like doing into something um, where I had an opportunity to meet with and hear from God. And it really... It didn't make me like folding laundry anymore, uh, but it it changed something that would just have been drudgery into an opportunity (coughs) for spiritual growth.
1: Now, tell us about showering with scripture. Wash over me, Lord.
3: One of the things many of us are in really short supply of is time. Uh, My time is is eaten away by, by my kids and my ministry, and I know you have a lot of irons in the fire, Pat. I know time is in short supply for you as well. So I really was hungry to learn more scripture, but I wasn't sure how to jam one more thing into my day. And and all of a sudden I realized one of the only times I got to myself that was peaceful and quiet and focused was my morning shower. And so I got some markers that could write on my shower walls and I wrote, the Beatitudes in the shower. And I spent a month learning the Beatitudes in this wonderful, quiet, restful morning, 10 minutes of shower time that I had. And it was so, it was so great. And it was so fascinating how the verse of scripture or the few verses of scripture I had spent time learning in the morning would show up later in my day. It was like God had just prepared the way. This is the verse you're going to need. This is the passage that's going to encourage you or challenge you today. Um, So it's really an encouragement to people that learning Scripture is so deeply important. And there's a place in your day where you can learn Scripture. There's a little time. There's a little window. It might be your shower. It might be, um, you know, when you're standing in line at the grocery store. But how can you pair this spiritual practice um, with something that you naturally do anyway? And for me, it was my shower.
1: Now, let's get to this topic. Fasting from Facebook. Giving up to gain.
3: The Bible talks a lot about fasting. Jesus in the Gospels says, "When you fast." He doesn't say if you fast. He says when. It was a it was a spiritual practice that that everyone participated in during Jesus Day, and it's something we've kind of fallen away from, or or else we do these weird fad diets that aren't healthy. And um, as I wrote this book, I was I was nursing a baby, and then as I finished the book, I was pregnant with our third baby, so I couldn't fast from food medically. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good idea for me. And so I said, okay, God, I want to participate in this practice of fasting. What else can I give up if I can't give up food? And uh, God really encouraged me to give up social media for a season. So for 40 days for the season of Lent, the season right before Easter, I gave up Facebook and Twitter and all social media and used that time instead to, to pray And to focus on my family and to focus on friendships, to take walks, to do things in the real world. And that fast was such a beautiful reset of my appetites. Often we become addicted to things we don't even really know we're addicted to until we we cut them out for a season. It helped me recalibrate a healthy use of social media. And God really met me in those newfound silences and spaces.
1: How are you doing with that now?
3: Um, Yeah, I've actually been on a social media fast for all of July. I'm going to go back after vacation and log back on in in mid-August. But I found from that, that season of fasting that it really is good to unplug for a short season here and there, whether that's a week or a month. Um, My husband and I, we log off of social media at least one full day every week. Uh, For our family Sabbath, we stay off social media. And it's really been a game changer for us to not have to continually – you know, be kind of blown and tossed by the winds of culture and the winds of the news of the day, and instead be able to think and pray more deeply about what's right in front of us and what God has called us to in this season. So it's one of the disciplines in the book. I really encourage everyone to try if they can.
1: And Courtney Ellis is our guest, the author of Almost Holy Mama, uh, Suffering and Stillness, because sometimes all you can do is nothing. Right, Courtney?
3: (laughs) Yeah, None of us seek out suffering. We're, we're not called to try to suffer. But if if you're a human and you live in the world, at some point, grief will come and suffering will come. And this takes many forms. Sometimes it's, it's accident or illness. Sometimes it's a financial collapse. For me, as I was writing this book, I had mapped out my chapters, and the, uh, there was not supposed to be a chapter on suffering. Uh, But then suffering hit me and I had to pause this whole spiritual experience, this whole spiritual experiment in order to just deal with what was right in front of me. And this was uh, when we became pregnant with baby number three, it uh, really just affected my body in a different way. And I got very, very, very sick. I had not been that sick with my first two babies, but for whatever reason, this one really, really floored me. And so... I could care for my kids, and I could do my job, and then I was home, and I was going to bed really early. I was I was throwing up multiple, multiple, multiple times a day, and I was just miserable, and I'm a go-getter. <laughs> I'm a doer. I, I like to be on, on the move, and God really taught me in this season that sometimes we have to stop, and it's not a choice. It's not a decision, and God just says, stop, slow down, and I'm going to minister to you right here in your bed or in this hospital bed or... In this chair that you can't get out of and god met me in really powerful ways so much of the spiritual life is walking with god uh, but sometimes god just lays us flat and all we can do is receive and even that is a gift and i i think i learned more in that chapter and in that segment of the book than in the rest of the book combined it was the hardest lesson for me to just be still and receive from God receive from my husband who had to do all the cooking and cleaning and, and childcare and, and receive from my friends and my church in that really, really low season. Um, but there, there is a gift, there's a gift in suffering and there is a gift in stillness.
1: Before the break, give me about 30 seconds on your three children. How old are they? And what's up with them?
3: Oh, they're the best. They're wonderful. I have a son who's almost seven years old. His name is Lincoln. I have a second son who's three and a half named Wilson. And then we have a baby daughter who's nine months old named Felicity. And they are just absolute joys. They're lots of fun. Lots of energy. Lots of fun.
1: Courtney Ellis is our guest. We've got another segment with Courtney. Right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word In Orlando, and we're always just so pleased uh, when you come and uh, spend time with us. Always try to have interesting guests for you, and Courtney Ellis is no exception. Uh, We're back right after this. Courtney Ellis is with us. She's in Wisconsin talking about her new book, Almost Holy Mama. Courtney, we've arrived at this topic, getting ready with gratitude, Thanksgiving amid chaos.
3: This chapter came out of uh, a realization that, that that I had that I was not very grateful in the morning. Uh, I'm not a morning person, and getting two kids or now three kids ready to do anything, uh, go to church on a Sunday, go to school, go to the park, go to the grocery store, is is. It's a three-ring circus. Uh, I have a friend who calls it the goat rodeo, and that's, that's what it feels like. They're just they're everywhere. And, and so I would get very easily frustrated and, and run down and just start my day off on the wrong note. And so one of the spiritual practices um, that a lot of Christian authors write about is gratitude. And what does it mean to be thankful and present to what God has given to us? Um, So I decided to practice the the discipline of gratitude in the morning when I was getting ready. So whether that was uh, getting dressed, putting on makeup, getting the kids dressed, to turn into this rhythm of thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what is in front of me. Thank you, Lord, for the clothes that I'm wearing. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the children and their energy. And making that into a real spiritual discipline rather than just getting through the chaos and it opened my eyes to the blessings of God in a, in a much deeper way, things that I would take for granted, like the food that was on our breakfast table or the clothes that my children were wearing. My, my husband and I work at a church, so we often just get these wonderful, beautiful, high-quality hand-me-downs from people, you know, and what a gift that we didn't pay for a lot of the things our kids were wearing. And. Um, I really began to, to start my mornings off in a different way and on a different note because of the way God, God met me in that practice. It wasn't that I was drumming up gratitude or trying harder to be grateful. It was that I was beginning to just start this rhythm of, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for this. And in giving thanks, God really opened my heart uh, to see and understand more of his blessings.
1: Now... I want you to talk to us about travel and pilgrimage, going away and coming home. What's that about?
3: The spiritual life of a Christian is is kind of one giant pilgrimage, right? We, we meet God, and then God doesn't say, you're perfect how you are, stay here, never change. God takes us on this journey toward him, toward deeper holiness and compassion and patience and wisdom, and so any little journeys we have in our lives, any little trips or vacations are opportunities uh, for spiritual practice, to practice pilgrimage, what does it mean that God calls us away from our home? What does it mean that God is with us on the journey? And what does it mean that we find God at every step along the way and at our destination? So we were setting off for a family vacation uh, to come to the Midwest and visit my family in Michigan and in Wisconsin. And we started to think about this as a pilgrimage, to give thanks to God before we left, to give thanks when we arrived, and to look for God along the way. And suddenly, that that friendly gate agent wasn't just a friendly gate agent. She was a way God was reaching out to us and reminding us that, that God was on the journey with us. And the the fact that the flight attendant gave my son a free granola bar that was his very favorite kind was a sign that God... God knew we were going to be on that airplane. And even the bumps in the road then become an opportunity to press into spiritual disciplines like patience and gratitude rather than just drudgery and getting to the other side. Um, So any trip, whether it's just to the grocery store or all the way around the world, is an opportunity to meet with God on a pilgrimage.
1: Now, Courtney, ceasing in celebration, discovering the playful God.
3: Much of the journey of spiritual disciplines is, uh, it's about trying new things. It's about trying, you know, whether it's listening prayer or contemplation or service um, or learning scripture. But ultimately, God's goal is for us to worship and enjoy Him and to enjoy one another. And so... As I was writing this book, I was going back and forth with my editor. She's this this wonderful, brilliant woman named Kay, and, and she said, you know, I think part of your journey is learning that God doesn't always want you to just try harder and do more. God wants you to enjoy Him. What would it look like if you ended the book with a chapter on celebration? And I said, well, I don't really know how to do that. She said, great, then that's the chapter you need to write. So for the final chapter in the book, I... I made it a goal to go to the beach twice a week. I live in Southern California. I'm 20 minutes from the beach, 20 minutes from the ocean, and I never go because there are always things I should be doing. I should be buying groceries, and I should be working on this Bible study, and I should be you know, giving my kids a bath before bed. And so I do the things I should do, and I don't do the things uh, that might be really life-giving and celebratory. So twice a week for the entire month, I went to the beach. and. Just enjoyed God. Just just walked on the shore and and praised Him and prayed and and just soaked up the joy uh, of the beach. It's really hard to be grumpy uh, when you're in front of the ocean. You can do it, but it's hard. So um, in that season of celebration, I just really, really began to realize some some deep, profound things about God, about the God who loves us. Zephaniah says that God rejoices over us with singing, and that the goal isn't to try harder and be better and be good. The goal is to enjoy God, and and as we begin to worship Him Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are transformed and we are changed. And it's not by trying harder. It's a it's through this gift of grace that God gives to us. And so this chapter was really transformative for me. It was transformative for our family uh, in learning to celebrate in a deeper way. That life is not all about doing more sometimes it's just about soaking in soaking in the moment and in the love of god
1: at the end of the, your book you t- write about almost holy fully loved where do we go from here
3: yeah, folks often ask me if I, now, uh, if I now do all of these spiritual disciplines all the time now that I've written this book, uh, and the answer to that is no, uh, because seasons ebb and flow, and there are different needs in our lives. There are things that all Christians are called to do. All Christians are called to pray and study scripture, uh, but that might look different for us in different seasons. It might be more more listening prayer. It might be more of the Lord's prayer. It might be more journaling prayer. Um, so there is ebb and flow, but the deepest lesson for me of the book and the lesson that I hear from many, many young moms are learning and, and, and folks who aren't moms as well. Um, they're learning that, that God is there in the rhythms of their life, reaching out. So if it's a really busy season, God is there. And if it's a really slow season, God is there. And I heard someone once describe spiritual practices as just going outside that God wants to warm us with the sun and nourish us and refresh us with the rain. But so often we just stay inside. We're like, gosh, I wish there was sun and rain. All we have to do is get up and go outside. And and God is waiting to meet us, to bless us, to love us. So that was the lesson that I'm never going to arrive, but every step is a pace farther up the trail to where the air is clearer and the sun is brighter. And the view becomes, the view starts to come into focus. Uh, And that's, God is just so good. As we keep showing up and taking a step, God meets us in really powerful and profound and gracious ways.
1: Courtney, what would you like listeners to our chat uh, to walk away with from your book and from our discussion?
3: I would love folks to walk away uh, from reading my book just really encouraged. It's not a how-to book. Uh, It's a a me-too book. I'm on this journey with you, and I fail as much as I succeed. But God is so good, and God shows up. And when we show up with God, beautiful, amazing, wonderful things happen.
1: What's next for you? Is there another book in, uh, your, I, in your pipeline?
3: There is, yeah. I'm working on book number three, and I, I can't say a lot about it yet, but it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's been a lot of fun to write so far.
1: What did your years at Wheaton College mean to you?
3: Oh, I loved Wheaton College. Uh, that's where I met my husband, Daryl, and that's where I really began to delve into writing. I had a wonderful professor who I took several classes with, and I said, you know, should I should I pursue writing? Should I be a writer? And he said, you know, writers, writers have to write, so pursue something else, and if you have to write, the writing will find you. And that's really been true, and I, I have this wonderful vocation in ministry that I love, and the writing happens during my lunch break and, and early in the morning and late at night, and it's been a continual joy. And I'm I'm grateful to him uh, so much for helping set me on that path.
1: Courtney Ellis has been our guest, Almost Holy Mama. Courtney, great to talk to you, and congrats on your book.
3: Thanks, Pat. It's been a joy.
1: Well, we've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new AM 990, and... FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday power hour. Our first guest was Wallace Henley from the second Baptist church in Houston talking about his book, call down lightning. And then Courtney Ellis, uh, from uh, her home in Wisconsin, uh, talking about her book, almost holy mama. Uh, Folks, I want to tell you about the latest book that I've just written. It's out, uh, coming out right now. It's called Lead Like Walt. And we look at Walt Disney through that narrow focus of leadership. What was it that made Walt a good leader, a strong leader? And more importantly, what can we learn uh, from Walt in our own life of leadership? HCI is the publisher. Go up to Amazon, uh, order it from right there, and uh, they'll have it shipped to you just as soon as that book is available. It's coming out right now as we talk. So uh, have a good, good week ahead, and stay tuned to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando